Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us on this episode of Swim Upstream, a podcast devoted to engineering team leads and dev tool enthusiasts. I'm Tom, co-founder of Swim, and today we're talking with Liran Tal. Liran is Director of Developer Advocacy at SNCC and has more than 15 years of experience as a software developer and engineering manager in various leading companies and as a startup founder. He's also a core contributor and open source enthusiast, a GitHub star, a published author, and more. Hi, Liran. We're excited to have you on. Thanks for coming to speak with me today. Thank you, Tom. Excited to be here as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we have about 15 minutes and lots of questions. Let's see what we can cover. Um, let's start with this one. Liran, at SWIM, we take uh, coffee very seriously, uh, probably too much. Um, so to start... Yeah. So to start things off, if you could have coffee anywhere right now, where would it be? Um, I got recently reminded of a place I was uh, taking a breakfast of in Barcelona. It was a nice little, really cozy, small, you know, coffee place outside of the tourist zone. And I was there for a couple of days, uh, you know, community stuff, meetup conferences and some customer meetings just before COVID hit. So I was actually thinking about this the other couple of days, like, wouldn't it be nice if travel went back in and we could, uh, you know, take those moments of breaks in, uh, in different cities. That sounds magical. Uh, yeah, yeah, I miss that feeling too. Um, so, uh, you know, this, this past year and a half, and you mentioned this, have been mostly focused on adjusting to the realities of, of COVID-19. Uh, what's one thing you learned to live without that surprised you? <laughs> okay, I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to regret saying this because I miss it so much as well. Uh, but I kind of like le uh, learned to live without this. This is, you know, pizzas and, and fast food or junk food. Uh, I, you know, in the COVID times, you know, I think it was quite after it started around May 2020. Uh, I got myself a smartwatch, you know, for like health, fitness, tracking, stuff like that noticed I was, you know, quite a bit, you know, overweight and all of those stuff. So I started, you know, paying more attention to this stuff, uh, you know, and today, like the best meal of the day for me is basically the salad that I make for myself at noon. And uh, I can't even refuse like eating outside. I'm making this only uh, for me. Uh, so, uh, but I miss pizzas. I, I, I this is, uh, you know, something I, I get from time to time. I eat that, but uh, I miss having this more often. That's commendable. I, I believe I've I've started eating more pizzas since COVID, so uh, that's that's quite an achievement. So Tom, wait okay. until all of those meetups uh, uh, rejoin and the pizzas are going to be blasting off again. Yeah, pizzas and beer. Uh, let's hope. Okay, so um, Liran, could you please describe what you do at SNCC uh, without using your title? Yep. So I would say um, it would be about, you know, inspiring education and empowering developers worldwide, right? About application security and myself being committed to making them really successful at it. If I had to, you know, without using that title, this is what I would focus myself on. Would you, do you like the word evangelizing or, uh, you mm -hmm. know, is that used too much now? I think evangelizing is, uh, I don't know if it's used too much, but I think it's, uh, I, 
Notice I haven't said sneaky, right? This is not about sneaky, this is about application security. So, you know, whatever works and it's not about, you know, the product features and all of that. It's about actually listening to what is helpful to developers. How can they be better? What do they need? What, you know, what are the problems they're having? Is it too much noise, too many alerts? Do they need help triaging vulnerabilities and fixing them? So this is more about understanding that, giving them more knowledge. Um, and I, you know, I started with inspiration first, right? I would like to inspire them. And I've, you know, this is, we maybe talk about, you know, some of the open source projects later, but like my, also I think the goal is how do you inspire developers to really like security, to like join some security projects, to do something around this. Maybe the, they introduce a new like security linter or something in their, you know, CIs and they feel really proud about it. These are the moments that, you know, I, I, I cherish a lot. Okay, so it sounds like you're trying to change hearts and minds and, and possibly even cultures. So that's that sounds amazing. Uh, so you mentioned uh, open source projects and, and it looks like you're very passionate about it. Uh, could you tell us about uh, open source projects you're involved in that you're most proud of? Um, yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I'm going to pick a few of my own just because, uh, uh, you know, they have some interesting stories around them and, you know, they've been... Uh, They've been uh, accompanying me for for quite a bit of time now. So, I'll start with a project that I called uh, Dockly. It's it's spelled and sounds like Docker because this was basically, uh, I think, the biggest project that I undertook to uh, uh, build a command line application that is a very immersive, like terminal user interface tool to manage your Docker containers. And um, I I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> the one regret I have about this is I'm gonna do a spoiler here is that this is, I think, the only project I probably have that, you know, at, at that scale that did not have any tests. Because I, I was like, you know, how do you write tests for like a terminal UI interaction, you know, pixels moving up and down and so and so forth. So there are some, you know, mechanisms and, and you know, techniques to do that. But uh, I mean, Dockly has been a great, I think, uh, cornerstone for me to like, you know, this is how I also learned, you know, containers. And I was like, how do you manage them? So I, you know, started, you know, building this out and it became like super popular. Um, and, you know, Jess, Jesse Frazzle, you know, Jess Fraz has been kind of like, you know, uh, tweeting about it, you know, a couple of years back and it, you know, really made some, uh, uh, some, some kind of like, you know, waves and, uh, interesting stuff. But the, the part I'm really, you know, most proud of is not, you know, me building that or something, but the fact that, there were, you know, several contributors to that that have actually, like, you know, continued uh, their contributions throughout the years. Some of them refactored, some of them added, you know, more things. And I love seeing that. I love seeing that this is not, you know, people find, you know, in fixed bags ad hoc and, you know, disappear from the project, but actually, you know, they've been able to kind of commit and like what they're working on and, you know, you know, do several commits one after time after time. So I'm, I'm proud that this has been like a, a good place for people to to join. Uh, and they found comfortable uh, at you know taking part of this community. So new contributors to open source projects also have sort of like an onboarding process, right? Like you would see in a, in a development team. I, I don't know how uh, how soon in the process these contributors came in, but I, I wonder how is that process similar or different from onboarding to a new, new dev team? Hmm. Um, interesting question. I think uh, I think there are like probably levels of maybe like the you know the communication part like the soft skills versus you know I think the probably the um, I would say engineering wise it's you know maybe maybe the, maybe like people are used to it it's the same stuff it's overlapping uh, kind of like concepts and concerns they need to write code you know they look for the right structure they have tests and so on. 
but what may be different is, you know, things like, you know, the expectation setting and the goal, right? Like people come to an open source project, you know, their expectation and the alignment of what they want to do is completely different from that of like when you onboard someone to, you know, a, you know, a company project like their day-to-day, you know, um, projects. And so like, you know, maybe their goal is, you know, I just want to fix that, you know, typo and, you know, bye-bye. I just want to add that feature or fix this bug because it's, you know, bugging me. Um, and, you know, that's it, right? So the mindset is a bit different. And also there's, I think there's kind of like this psychological, I call it like the I did it effect where, you know, you know, I could be contributing to like Angular, but really just change the docs because there's like a broken link. But for me, I have like, you know, hey, I'm like part of like the Angular community of like, you know, have a committer somewhere in the history. And like, this is a great way for you to like participate in open source. So like the, there, there's like a very psychological effect of, you know, hey, I did it. Uh, and it's, I think it's massive when it's, you know, open source projects, just because like, you know, you feel a lot, uh, it's a lot easier to feel, you know, part of like a bigger community. Whereas, you know, if you fix something, even if it's major in Linux and you know, some backend, some frontend service, uh, and the company it's like, okay, that's user story done, you know, completed, let's move on to the next print. Uh, there's like a, a bit of a different yeah. effect there. So you mentioned a lot of like visitors for a day as contributors, right? Like people coming to fix something specific that they need. And uh, I I think there's like this magical process that rarely happens, but is very important to understand of how someone might start that way and then find themselves slowly or fast, you tell me, becoming a core contributor. How does that happen? Is that something you can control or... Is it just like fate or luck? I love that question. Um, I don't. I don't think it's something you can directly control as as like the maintainer. Or I don't. It depends. Like the question: how you how do you you know uh, you know question that? Uh, but I have I have a nice little trick that I'm gonna I'm gonna share here, and that is uh, when someone wants when I see someone contributing to a project, uh, my, my project that I you know I'm the maintainer of, uh, the trick for me to uh, get them in. Uh, you know, a bit more committed and, you know, you know, it's a great way to also like, you know, build their, uh, you know, portfolio and like, uh, uh, you know, their own personal brand and their confidence levels. The trick is I, most of the time I'll add them as a, as a core member of the project. So uh, you've done a, a few, if you commit, you know, to one of my projects tomorrow, uh, Tom, uh, anything, I'll probably get you to be a core contributor to that one. And I've seen it has a dramatic effect. And, you know, once you, you know, doesn't matter what contribution you did, you're just on it. At that point, there's, you know, your enthusiasm level, your, you know, parts of, you know, the mission is super high. Um, and uh, this is my trick. This is how I get people, you know, a little bit more engaged and uh, enthusiastic about my projects. Uh, don't ask me about the supply chain security issues with that one, <laughs> because it's a tricky one. <laughs> but yeah, like, uh, this, is, this is my way of... Uh, welcoming new uh, core members. So it sounds like they also get a sense of responsibility, right? So if I'm a core contributor, maybe maybe I need to get more people involved. Maybe I need to look at some core issues and, and take responsibility for those. Yeah, I think so. I think like it's it's a sense of commitment, a sense of mission. There's like a sense of responsibility, accountability, like tracking the projects that you might like, you know, do some backlog, you know, kind of like cleaning and see like what's going on, like all the issues, maybe they need to close them. And it's really, I think, a great way to like appreciate other members uh, of the community that help you to like, you know, you give them that stamp. They're not just, you know, ad hoc, ad hoc contributors. Uh, you know, they're part of the project. You know, sometimes 
they may not actually like live up to it and you know do this whole you know full-on maintainer and that's okay that's something that you know as a maintainer as well like if you're doing you know practicing this trick uh you know you have to accept so appreciation sounds very important uh i i i'm, I'm guessing that uh, uh people that are going through this process of becoming core contributors also want to see uh, that you are investing in them, right? Uh, investing in making it easier for them to, to get on board, investing in, in, in make it, making it, uh, you know, easier for them to uh, interact as a team. Is, is that, is that true? Is that um, important? It is. I, I don't know if like how to make it easier for them to like interact with a team. I haven't managed like, I think, you know, open source projects to a scale of like, you know, becoming multiple teams with projects and you know roadmaps and things like that so it's nothing like you know the react project and things like of that scale uh but i i do relate to the appreciation part like when when people contribute uh you know any sort of prs to my project i usually you know show that appreciation also you know beyond the the, the repository i'll go on you know social media i'll tweet you know with you know praising them you know congratulating them thanking them you know the pr link all of that i have in the past also i think for Dockly and for npq another small project um i've actually got stickers and uh, uh sent out and the other thing i did was uh, i need to do this more i've uh, do you know how do you have like those nice little uh gifts where this is basically kind of like a um, a block of of wood, but something is carved in it. So I kind of like pr I printed the screenshot of yeah, Darkly sure. to like one of the contributors and sent it over. And it's like this nice mm. little you know ten centimeter oh. block that they have, and it's uh, memorabilia. I mean, it's pretty cool. I don't have that. They have it. <laughs> that that that's that's uh, your second uh, trick that you mentioned here today. That sounds really great. Um, I, I wonder if other projects are doing something like that as well. Uh, okay. Very cool. So, um, uh, you know, in, in this podcast, we like discussing uh, knowledge sharing and developers' technical onboarding, like we mentioned right now. And I, you bring two very unique perspectives, right? Both as a developer advocate as an, as, and as an uh, open source contributor. And in, in terms of developer advocacy, um, what kind of challenges do you face in building communication between SNCC and the dev community? Um. I would say it's probably several levels. Uh, engagement, I think, for security is, if you think about it, like security is mostly invisible for generally uh, everyone because, like you know, uh, uh, of course, until you get hacked or breached or you know you leak data, that's where like, hey, I care about security now. But you know, until that point, which I hope like no one goes through this kind of like uh, you know incidents. Uh, but until then, like you, you don't really like care about it, right? It's you know kind of like invisible whether you have security or you don't. Kind of like you know you're not really sure what's the state of kind of like your app or whatever you're building. So engagement uh, around this and getting awareness and enthusiasm around like these application security concerns and like they are as important as your tests and all of those cross-cutting concerns are, you know, an important kind of like building block in terms of the communication that we need to do between Sneak, between, you know, uh, security companies that are dev first uh, today, you know, understanding that developers are, uh, you know, those that are empowered to fix issues, you know, security personnel are, you know, great and they're needed, they're expertise, but end the ending up, you know, the, the end of the day is, you know, developers need to fix stuff. Um, I think that's one of them. And I think the other one would be kind of, you know, being super receptive to the fact that, you know, what are, what are we like not doing right? What can we do better? What are we missing? What are the gaps that we have, you know, with like, you know, you mentioned Sneak specifically, right? So what are the gaps that Sneak has in terms of like, how do we 
communicate better with it with a with a with a dev community and so for example understanding maybe there's like this uh, uh you know vulnerabilities fatigue where like you get a lot of you know pull requests a lot of fixes you do npm install something you know if you're like on the javascript ecosystem you get npm audit fifteen thousand vulnerabilities like what do you do at that point people want a little bit more you know tools that are a little bit more, you know, noise free, right? Like destruction free. They want to, you know, fix security and get on with their job, not, you know, invest their whole, you know, five days of the week on it. Um, so I think this is part of like, you know, the building communication is that you have to be, you know, very receptive to the challenges, the problems that uh, the dev community is having. You know, the first place uh, probably where the, the, your users meet you is in your documentation page, right? They, they want to start implementing uh, and using your tool and, uh, how much time and, and effort and thought do you invest in, in keeping that, um, you know, friendly and in order and up to date? Um, it's a good, it's a good question because I don't know if specifically for sneak users are, you know, lending on the docs pages first. I think it's probably one of the blogs or, um, you know, sometimes the getting started blogs that we have. Uh, but even when you talk about documentation and like that's probably a whole you know paradigm of itself uh, these days uh, there's like you know the 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 product related docs and then there's like the api related docs so like the, even like different things um and i think what we're doing is definitely keeping that up to date with you know products and uh, uh calling out like um if we see people are like you know, complaining or, you know, they're missing the, like the, the same complaints all the time. Like, you know, I've, you know, this is kind of like, you know, we want to push this into like an FAQ or something like that on the docs, like to get people uh, aware of this issue, you know, very easily without having to like scrape for it or go through it themselves. Uh, so there's definitely, I think the awareness of like, you know, hitting them in this, uh, uh, you know, milestone of like, you know, time to get started kind of like metric uh, really fast. Okay, great. Um, well, uh, unfortunately, that's all the time we have today, uh, Liran. Thank you for and having thank me. Thank you very much it's for coming on today. Great. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in, and I hope you join us for our next episode. To find additional episodes and full transcripts, or if you'd like to be a guest on our show, find us on our community page at swim with a double M.io. Bye for now.